And you can be opening your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. Church for kids. And uh, it's time for church for kids. I think they know it better than we do. We had a little different um, key today. Usually Pastor Andy's at the piano and he prays. So uh, we had to be on our toes this morning. I'm glad to be back. Are y'all glad to be here? Amen. I tell you what, I, I love the Lord's table. I, I just get that um, warm fuzzy of, uh, of being brothers and sisters in the Lord. But man, I really get excited when we're baptizing because uh, I, just, I just love it when people come to that point of obedience and, and uh, showing their faith in Christ. I, th- I look at it as a declaration of war because you're looking at the enemy saying, I'm not on your side, I'm on his side now. And that's what happens to us when we come to know Christ and baptism is a symbol of that. Um, sure enjoyed, uh, I, I hate using that word, I shouldn't have used that word, but um, I sure appreciated uh, Pastor Stephen preaching last week in the sermon he preached. Um, that, that was uh, just excellent and it made me realize that it was a lead into what I was going to say today because he was talking about how we all have, I call them a pet sin, but there's something that it, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, sin that easily besets us. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I was telling someone just this morning that People, uh, through time, they try to get holy, they, they want to, they try to achieve a holy perfection, and some, even to the point of becoming a monk, uh, a famous pastor, uh, or preacher actually, Vance Havner said, living in a hole won't make you any holier. But w- when you go to get in a cave and you isolate yourself from that, this sinful world, guess what you still carry in there? Your mind, and that's where sin is originating, right here, uh, it's in our, in our idea, and Paul is beginning a part here in 2 Timothy where he's describing the weakness of our flesh and the power of God living in us. And he's trying to show this to the Corinthians. I I don't know if I've emphasized it enough, but the church at Corinth, they were living in probably the most openly wicked place uh, of that day, at least in the top, you know, five, I would say. There's false idols, there's all kind of sinful uh, uh, debauchery going on, things like that. And in the first book of Corinthians, Corinthians 1, he said, I'm thankful you have all the spiritual gifts. In that church, there was not one missing spiritual gift. And about two chapters later, he says, but I have to speak to you as babes in Christ. Not, you are not mature. And so having a gift from the Holy Spirit doesn't make you mature. But the fruit of the Spirit being developed in your life is how we mature. And Paul is beginning to describe this. And it really goes all the way into chapter 5 and down to about verse 10. I'm only going in chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Uh, so it would be at least two more sermons coming, if not three more, on the same topic where he's explaining it, he's illustrating, he's showing us. And so he's going to begin today by illustrating it. So if, if you will, follow along with me. I want to read these uh, five verses uh, as, as you're there. I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're using the Bible in the pew, it's page 1147 or 1147. Um, that is the page number in the, toward the back. And if you've, got, if you've got this Bible or ESV, there's a little title there, Treasures in Jars of Clay. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live 
are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Would you pray with me in this moment? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your abundant mercy and grace, what you've done for us, what you've given to us. And Lord, right now, I pray that you would come and be with us uh, in, a, in a special way. We know that you're with us. We're two or three. You said, are gathered in your name. You'd be there. There's at least two or three believers that came today in your name. But Lord, uh, we are asking that you would show us our sin, that we might confess it and be rid of it, that, that you would bring conviction, that we would uh, desire to obey you and, and, and your simple command to, to love one another and to love our neighbors ourself. And Lord, to love you, though, the, the most important, the, to love you above all things and, and more than anything, and that you are exclusive in our affection. But God, we thank you for your grace and mercy and help to us. And today, Lord, we need your help. We need to understand what you're telling us in this passage. And none of us have enough uh, human capacity is not enough to understand, uh, to, to see what you're saying. So we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit living in each one of us and living in the church here, that you would open our eyes to behold the wonderful things you've written here. And that seeing it, we would quickly obey. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The overarching sermon series title of this whole book is that God is powerful in our weakness. So we keep seeing our weakness and, our, and his power uh, illustrated throughout the book. And today I'm calling it Power in a Jar of Clay. Um, it, believe it or not, I kind of wrestled over the title because there was a lot to it. And, and I brought a clay pot up here today. Um, this clay pot was a Christmas gift to my wife from uh, our daughter-in-law who makes such things, Speckle Mountain Pottery. There's a shout out for her. Um, you can look her up. on. Uh, I don't have any social media on my phone, but I understand it's at least on Instagram. And so she made this uh, pot for, for us, and it's beautiful. And if I break it today, I, my name is Mud. I am be in the doghouse the rest of my life, but... but but it is delicate. I, I, I made sure I got it here safely. I, I'm a little afraid to leave it here because I don't, I, so far, I haven't knocked this over. But the day's coming. Okay, I'm just going to tell you because I'm just that clumsy. So I, I got to be super careful with it. But, but what's going to happen to this? One day it's just going to deteriorate. It's going to be gone, right? And, and so can you imagine, I, like we had gold and we hid it in here. That, that wouldn't make too much sense because that's a pretty weak vessel, right? The most precious substance on earth, but this could get knocked over, broken. It could be discovered. It, it, it's still a pot. It's a nice one. It's a beautiful one. It's well made, but it's in many ways fragile. And Paul, thank you so much, compares us to that. That we're weak, that, that we can be easily broken, easily destroyed and and so he is going to use that as an illustration and and when we look at it here uh, we're going to have to back up just about at least a verse but let me give you something to take home with you just a sentence a statement God lives in us do you ever live him out he fills our clay vessel but he tells us to what to take what he put in us and live it out it says Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it's God that works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So what he fills us with, he expects us to pour out in service to others, right? And he said, when we serve others, we serve him. He said, 
I'm going to give you a new commandment. Love each other just the way I've loved you. And when men see that you love one another, they'll know you're my disciples. It's kind of hard to see somebody as a disciple of Christ when he's screaming at someone, when he's angry at someone, when he's calling them names, when he is fighting with them. It's kind of hard to see that you're supposed to be a follower of Jesus. The only people he ever got mad at were people like us that are claiming a name of God and yet not obeying his commandments to love God and to love others. I'm going to take a breath so y'all have a chance to say amen. And in verse 7, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Well, wait a minute. He says the word but, which means why is it there? And he says this treasure. What treasure? Well, just look at the verse before. It starts with four, so there's a lot that goes before that as well. And, uh, and, and so I can back up. To five, for we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us, what did he give us? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, we didn't take time to really unpack that, and I won't have time to today either. But just think about what it's saying. He says, he has shown in our hearts that God lit a light in our heart that we could have Jesus in us. And he gave us the light of the knowledge of God. Now, if I put a light in this pot, you wouldn't be able to see it because there's nowhere open. I'd have to turn it this way. And if there's a candle, it'd probably go out, right? And so he has poured into us and people can't see the inside. In 1 John he says we're already children of God. but We don't look like what we're going to because we haven't seen him yet. But we, we know when we see him we will be like him. And in here he's going to tell us that we're being changed image by image into the glory of God. But what we already have down inside, inside of us is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Remember last week we were talking about Moses coming off the mountain and the glory fading and he put a veil on so that they wouldn't see the glory draining away. And Paul says, well now that glory doesn't fade. It faded from Moses because he couldn't live on the mountain in the presence of God. He couldn't live in the tent of meeting in the presence of God. He had to come out and teach the people and do other things. The same thing happens to us in a sense. We need to get with God. We'll shine a lot brighter. But then he tells us to go out of our quiet place to talk about him, right? Well, what's the difference between Moses and us? When we leave God's presence, we don't leave God's presence. He never leaves us. He is inside, right? The Holy Spirit lives in you. That's what he's saying here, right? He has put into us the knowledge of the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is always the one that how we see God. The Bible says in Hebrews, God's a spirit cannot be seen by any man. The Holy Spirit, it's in his name. We can't see him. Jesus said you can't see him, but you can, he's like the wind. You can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. Like when the wind blows through the trees and you see the leaves rustling, you know there's wind there. Or you see the clouds racing by or whatever. You, you can see the effect of wind, but you can't see wind. That's how it is. So Jesus came to be the express image of of God, so we could see what God looked like. Not physically, but how did Jesus live his life? Now you've seen how God wants you to live your life. I'm gonna pause again because I realize I'm, I'm shooting a machine gun right here all of a sudden. And uh, I've, I have paused before in some crowds and seen them all sit forward. So I, um, I, I don't mean to do that to you. 
But I'm excited about it and I, I want to get down to the meat. So that's what he's put. And then he says in verse 7, but we have this treasure in a jar of clay. Y'all, our bodies aren't eternal. These bodies, they, the original design was a lot better than the one we got. Because it got busted when Adam sinned. And man is not getting stronger and smarter. We're getting weaker and dumber. We look back and go, how did they do those amazing things? And they were just like cavemen. No, they weren't. They were smarter than you and me. They were stronger than you and I. They were better physical specimens than all of us because diseases hadn't come in. Mutations hadn't happened yet. And so as a race, we are getting weaker and dumber. And Jesus says, or God, uh, Paul says, God tells through Paul us that that light of the knowledge of God is in us. There's a popular commercial you've probably seen. What's in your wallet? What are you carrying around? What power are you carrying around in you? You're carrying the very presence of the creator, God. The one who moved on the face of the water and earth was formed back in Genesis 1. Lives inside of you. And you're just a clay pot. I'm saying things I can't imagine. I can't understand, but that's what he says right here. And he says, here's why he did it. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. When something great happens and we, we do something and God shows up and shows off. A church could have a super big evangelistic event. And, and I'll just make up a number. A thousand people get saved and everybody be going, oh, that was great. That was wonderful. No, that was God. Because we can't do that. If you talk to your neighbor about Christ and they say, yes, that's what I need. And they pray to receive Christ. You didn't do anything but talk. He did the work. Right? I am not, not in any stretch of imagination mechanical. This is a beautiful hand-built podium here. I know somebody built it. I understand that. I don't even know the person's name. Somebody will tell me later again. I probably heard it. But if I had made that, I tried to just make a simple arbor four poles and some screen around it and I was so proud of myself I I you know every I squared everything leveled everything I finished went and got the kids they were small they came out said what do you think and one of my children whose name will not be repeated here said is it always going to lean like that <laughs> I said get back in the house no I I'm just not mechanical. But can you imagine? I could build the most. That, that Whoever built this, he built that. And all of a sudden, when he finished, the screwdriver or the, or the saw or the sanding machine went, See what I did? <laughs> well, he used it. But it didn't do anything unless the master's hand was on it. That's what Paul's trying to get us to see. That, that surpassing power lives in a clay pot. So quit bragging. Become humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we begin to mourn our condition. The power is not ours. He says it clearly in case you didn't catch it. So that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. And God is a jealous God. And he doesn't like it when we get between him and what he's doing and say, see what I did. There's plenty of those kind of guys, and guess what? You and I both can be one of those guys sometimes. And so we have to be super careful that we are doing God's will by God's power, and we don't try to take credit for that. 
But look at verses 8 to 10, and look at the weakness that is a jar of clay. He, he uses four phrases and, and adds to it. He says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. What, what does that look like? It, here's the, the idea, is that the pressure of living in this life bears down on us. And if that pressure gets great enough, I don't have the physical strength to do this, but if I was one of those strong men and I could just start squeezing, I, I could possibly bust this pot just by the pressure. But certainly I can put it under pressure of something heavy and it will just crumble. And life has a way of putting pressures on us. And the first one Paul uses, he says, we're afflicted. And he's used this word over and over and over. It's that word I like to say, flibbo. It means that we are crowded in, is how he's using it here. It's one sense of the word, that it is a bunch of external pressure coming in on us. Divers have to know this. They got to know how much pressure is on them at what depth of water and how long they can stay there because the nitrogen begins to build. So then they have to time coming back up out of the water so that it doesn't get released too much into their system too fast and it'll kill you if you do and it'll certainly make you very painful. And we live in a society that is, is pushing in on, on us and he's not even talking about the eternal, internal thing in our head. Society is pushing us in and wants us to be quiet and wants us not to live out for Christ. But he says, but we're not crushed. It says that word means not hemmed in. We're not trapped so we can't get out. There's a way out. And he says in the first Corinthians that, that whenever there's sin, God also provides a way of escape. And here he says that, that we are hemmed in and we're being pressured. But we're not being crushed. We're perplexed. The word there, perplexed, means there's no way out. You're looking around, but you can't find the way out. But he says, but you're not driven to despair. You're not, there's not utterly a loss. There's some daylight. You'll find a crack. You'll find a place. You'll find a way to, to slip through and, take, and get out of it. The third thing, he says, we're persecuted. But we're not forsaken. We just take that word persecuted. You know what it means. Somebody is hurting you because of your testimony of Jesus Christ. And it, but the word means to pursue. It's as if you're running away from something. And, and you, you know the old story about the, the two guys that were walking through the woods and a bear showed up. And the guy goes, bear, and the guy drops to his feet, and he takes off his boots, and he starts putting on tennis shoes. The guy says, what, what are you doing? That bear's going to catch us. He says, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just got to outrun you. <laughs> right? Well, that's kind of the idea. Something's coming out. It's chasing us. We are, we are being pursued. We are being persecuted. But he says, but you're not forsaken. You're not left behind somewhere. You, we don't just drop you off and use you as bait for the thing coming after us. God is with us. He won't let that happen. We, we're being pursued by our enemy, but we're not forsaken by God. He's with us in the middle of it. And the fourth one, he says, we are struck down. Katabalo. It means to throw down, to cast down. But we're not destroyed. It's what the word means, but it means utterly destroyed. Someone has said, and there's, you can look this up, there's a thousand sermons called Knocked Down But Not Knocked Out. That's what that last one is saying, that you're in this fight and a guy hits you and you hit the canvas. But instead of laying there, instead of laying there, and I got it far away from the other thing, so that wasn't it. You're, you're not knocked down. You get up inside the, 
the eight count, you, you, you make it back to your feet and you're okay. You get back in. All of us experience these external pressures. But here's what we forget. We have external pressures, but we have an internal strength that pushes back out so that it's not crushed. It's not, it's not destroyed. It's not torn into pieces. Because the Holy Spirit living in me. There's an old little saying, me and God make a majority. Now, if you want to say it properly, God and I make a majority. But the majority is on God's side, not our side, right? We're so fond of asking God to get up on our side just like Joshua did. Are you for us or for our enemy? He said, neither. I'm the captain of God's army. Whatever special group you're in, you think God's on your side. God's not on your side. God's on his side. And when you identify with another group other than that, you're not on God's side. Okay, good. Keep the main thing the main thing. We, those external pressures are, don't crush us because we have an internal presence in our life that pushes back out so that it doesn't collapse in on us. And here's how he says it right here in the text. Look at it. He says in verse 10, Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested, may also be manifested in our bodies. We're living in a, in a dichotomy. Remember in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, we studied about this a little bit, where it said that as many as may be the promises of God in Jesus, they are yes. It is on the cross that everything God wants to give you was gained. He, he purchased it is the way we would describe it because we can't think of a better way to say it. He bought for us the right to be called children of God, but it only comes through a knowledge of Christ. It only comes through a fellowship with him and letting him be our Lord and our Savior. And Paul here says... That, um, that we are carrying about in our body the death of Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, I just did baptism. I was just explaining to everybody. In Romans 6, it talks about this. And it says that when we come to Christ, we are baptized into his death. Now, the word baptized in Romans 6 is not talking about, I guess it is me. I don't know what I'm doing there. Uh, he's not talking about the water baptism. He's talking about the spirit baptism. That the spirit comes and he immerses us. God immerses us in himself. He, he, he's all around us. He's in us. He's outside of us. He's below us. He's above us. There's nowhere you can escape his presence as a believer. But that is purchased for us at the death on the cross. And Jesus told us when he was in his body before he went to the cross. If you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross and follow me he said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Well, the cross is not an instrument of suffering, even though it's a lot of suffering. It's an instrument of death. Paul said, I die daily. It is every day you get up and say, Lord, I'm awake today because you woke me up. So you obviously want to live your life through me today. And I need you to do that because I'm going to mess it up. So I've got to know that I'm dead to my own self, dead to my desires, what I want what I think, what I, did, what I want to go after. I want to pursue your will. I want to go after you and what you want. That is what it means to die. We die to ourselves. The Bible says in Romans 6 that God took the old man and he put it to death. What is that old man? What we were in Adam. We were in the order of Adam. And that order is a broken, fallen humanity. And Jesus came in the likeness of human flesh 
but took that and nailed it to a cross. And when he came out of the grave, he came out the way we're going to come out. And so if I don't identify with him in his death, I don't get to identify with him in his resurrection. Philippians says that it's given to us not only to know him in the power of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his suffering. And guess what? That's here. All these folks on TV and radio, there's one coming to town in a couple of months that say God wants you to be happy and wealthy and healthy and all of that mess. And you're living your best life now when I wrote a book about that. Then, then heaven must not be for you. Because I can guarantee you heaven's going to be better than the best life I can live here. And it's not about that. It's not about my pleasure and what I get. It's about me living for God. Just All of us ought to be shocked when we get to heaven of what he's giving us. Because we understand that moment we don't deserve this. And so we, we understand that we carry Jesus' death in our body so that his life can be seen. Because if you don't die to self, Christ can't live in you. If Jesus had not died, he couldn't have been resurrected to give us this power. Acts 2, it says, he obeyed the will of God and it was given to him the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on the church. I can't explain that in the way God understands it, but what basically Jesus obeyed the Father and the Father said, I'll give you the Holy Spirit and he will obey you. He, he'll go into the church and he'll bring people to know you and come into the, bring them into the kingdom. And that came about by Christ. So we live in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can be seen in us. That we're not living for ourselves, we're living for someone else. Well, the third thing we see there in verses 11 and 12 is... There is a destruction in this jar of clay. I, I said, it, it's beautiful now, and there's a whole lot of different things you could do with this. Flower arrangements, you can just set it up there by itself. It'd be very pretty. But look what he says in verses 11 and 12. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now, I got, I got to tell you, I, I didn't understand that verse. When you first read that verse, you go, wait a minute, what, huh, wait. Paul, don't you have the life of God in you? What, what do you mean? Death is working in you, but life in others. I, I, I'm confused. Well, it, it, I was confused because I'm not that smart. So let me tell you what people smarter mean, help me understand. And, and he's going to make this more clear later. This isn't necessarily what he's saying here. But I've already mentioned that we just age and get older and then we eventually pass away, right? Well, we call that the law of entropy, the second law of thermodynamics. Everything goes from complex to simple. If you put an apple on a table, it won't grow and get brighter and, and juicier and tastier and firmer and more glorious. It'll rot. Right, everything decays. So our bodies are decaying. It's the law of entropy. But that's not what he's saying. He's going to make a big point about that later, that it, this flesh is getting worse and worse, but the inner man's getting better and better. But the law of entropy is at work because of sin, because Adam's sin, because of our sin. Things we've done, we get aches and pains and diseases, how we've lived our life sometimes. 
But here's what he's saying. Paul's saying, I'm constantly dying and living in the death of Christ and suffering so that I can show you the life that is in Christ. I'm willing to die to myself so that Jesus can be seen in me. And he's encouraging us to do the same thing. If we're always demanding our own way, we get that whole attitude of, this is mine, I don't want to share. I, I'm, a, I'm a horrible at sharing food, especially. I, I don't like to share food. And I, and I blame it, as we blame most of our problems, on my mom. Now, I'm, <laughs> I, I say, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. I became a diabetic when I was seven years old. Back then, they, what they know now, like what they knew then was like a toddler's understanding of the whole disease. But... One thing we knew is I had to eat certain things at certain times of the day or I'm going to get in trouble, right? And so my mom would give me my lunch and say, and say don't share your lunch with anyone. <laughs> because I, she knew I needed everything she put in there and I needed to eat all of that to, to stay healthy. And so I started dating Janice and go through the drive through at McDonald's. What would you like? Well, I just want this. And then I would get, you know, the full-blown meal. She said, can I have some of your fries? I'd say, no. <laughs> I'll go back through the drive-thru and get you a whole large order if you want. And I just want a couple of yours. No. <laughs> we still fighting over that. I'm telling you. Paul here is telling us we got to live that life where we just, I'm dead to myself. If I'm spent, if I'm totally spent for the, cause of Jesus fine if somebody can see Jesus and get the life in them I've got the life I don't have to fight to keep the life he promised never to leave me or forsake me I'm going to heaven when I die so what does it matter how I die because I'm going to die no matter what I do in this life so it only matters how I live and Paul says I live by dying to myself so that life can grow in you so you can have life in you. My question is, what is your treasure? Do you treasure this world, this life, all the things that this world has to offer, or do you treasure the will of God, the glory of God, and the desire to see the world come to know Him? Because God is stronger than our enemy. These are some things that you might want to take home with you to think about. God is stronger than the enemy. You don't have to fear Him. He will come against you. He will try to hurt you. He will try to take things away from you. Good. Praise God. He can have it. <laughs> take it all. Because I don't own anything. Well, fine. I'll give you everything if you worship me. You can't. I already own everything. Everything God has is mine in Christ. But I don't own it. It's his. So you can't take it from me because I don't have it anyway. It's his. See, you don't need to listen to the devil either way. I am sorry that's doing that. I'm sure I'm doing something wrong. But God is stronger than our enemy. So just don't ignore him, but don't be afraid of him either. And then I'm just going to say it plainly. Die to yourself this week so somebody can see Jesus. Don't demand your way at work. Don't demand your way at whatever. Just say, okay. If, if you feel that's what the Lord wants, we'll do that. If you bring God into it, it kind of helps. <laughs> what, whatever it is that that you want to hold on to so dearly. Like, I'll probably share French fries with Janice this week, right? <laughs> As I just said that's silly, so you get, get the point. It's not about me, it's about others. 
And, and what happens when you give yourself out, after a while you get tired of it. After a while you want, you want to be selfish again. Jesus is the only one that gave and gave and gave and gave and never got selfish. He's headed to the cross and he's crying over Jerusalem because they wouldn't listen to his message of salvation. And he's about to give it all on a cross. And instead of yelling for the cross, you bunch of dirty sinners that put me up here, all of you can go to hell. I don't care. No, he bled the last drop of blood for us. The least we can do is live for him.